right. I didn't expect you all to like each other that much. All right. Well, it is good to be back. I am so glad to be here. I was here a couple weeks ago. I tell you, more of Trinity is never a bad thing. Am I right, Charlie? More than three? I have no idea what you're talking about. I can't hear you. Um, But I'm going to assume that you just told me how awesome you think I am. Okay, I'm going to assume that's what you were just talking about. All right. Well, it is so good to be here. Um, Again, my name is Bo, and I'm married. I'm married to Shannon, and we have three children, Brody, Sutton, and Scout. We have a great Dane named Luther, because I'm Presbyterian. And, um, and we have a little Yorkie named Sosie, I think, something like that. I can't stand that dog, but, um, but I like Luther. He's the big one. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father in heaven, we again come before you and just say, Lord, we need your help this morning. Please be here with us. I pray that you, uh, that you would help me to say whatever it is that you want to say today. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would filter my words and that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing to You and would glorify Your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. What do you do when God doesn't seem to answer your prayer in the time frame that you thought He should? Have you ever been in one of those situations where you walk into a business and the person, uh, the, the, there's no one else in front of you uh, and yet the people won't wait on you? Have you has that ever happened to you? I, I, I was in the bank the other day uh, and uh, there was no one in line. I was the only person there. There were three people behind the counter and I walked up to the counter and everyone kind of looked at me, and then they kept doing what they were doing. And I thought to myself, uh, now would be a good time to help me. I, d- I don't know what you guys are doing, but it seems like this is the right time to get things done. There's no one else here. You guys don't seem to be very busy. They, two of them seem to just be in a conversation about something important. Um, I remember going to a, a, a barbecue restaurant in Germantown, Tennessee, where I, I used to live in in Germantown and right outside of Memphis and I remember walking in and there were some ladies in the kitchen um, and 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 they just ignored me I remember I walked up to the counter and I said and I, and I stood there waiting patiently and and they were talking about nothing I, I could hear what they were saying you know I mean, they were just not talking about anything important and and I remember standing there just just kind of going uh and then I finally said uh excuse me and they were like we'll be with you in a minute and then they kept talking, and I just thought, wow, man, I, that's, this is not working out the way that I thought it should. But um, uh, sometimes God can feel that way to me. I don't, I don't know about you. Sometimes I, can, I feel like I get to the front of the line, and God is there, and I need Him to do something for me, and He's just not doing it. I don't know what He's doing, but I know that He could do whatever it is that I need. Um, I have some friends of mine who are trying to get pregnant right now. They're in the perfect time of their lives. You know, they've waited a few years. They've bonded together as a couple. You know, now they're ready. And they've been trying and trying and trying and trying now for six to eight months. And it feels like they're at the front of the line. They, they go to the church. They, they, they are dedicated to the Lord. They, they love Jesus. They, they serve 
And yet they, they're telling God, like, God, hey, can you, hey, can you, can you now give us a, a baby? Because it's going to be nine months away anyway. And, and right now, perfect time frame, job's going well. And we, have, we just got the right house and all this. Can you please give us that baby that we were wanting? And God just seems to be going, I'll be with you in a minute. What do you do when that happens? What do do you do when God delays? Hey God, I'm praying for this person in my family to come to know you. Why why aren't you doing it? Lord, they're coming into town this weekend. This weekend may be the last time I see them, Lord. I'm going to share my faith with them. Lord, will you do it? And then it happens and they say no. And you go, I want to talk to you this morning about how to deal with life when God delays giving you what you think that you, or or, or even that you know you need right now. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And what I hope to show you today, if you're taking notes, are these three things. Number one, our hurry. Number two, His delay, and number three, how to have patience in the midst of the delay. Our hurry, His delay, how to have patience in the midst of the delay. Let's jump into number one, our hurry. Jesus in our story today is at the peak of popularity. Everywhere He's going, people are gathering to see Him. He starts in chapter 4, teaching in a boat, and then late that night, they, they cross the lake where they Almost drowned. Jesus calms the storm, if you remember that from a couple weeks ago, if you were here. By the time they finally made it to the other side, it was probably first thing in the morning. And what happens, uh, the Word tells us that they are met immediately, as soon as they get across that lake, by the demon-possessed man. And Jesus casts those demons into into the pigs. Those pigs drown in the sea. The farmers tell the townspeople they want Jesus out of there. Jesus tells the healed man to go back to the, the, the cities and tell everyone what had happened. And Jesus gets back in the boat, crosses back over to the other side, and you can just see that everything is happening now. Uh, Jesus' fame is rising. His popularity is rising. And everywhere He goes, He's not seeming to, seemingly able to get away from the crowds. So look at verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Again, we see that Jesus is swarmed by the crowds, and and what we're going to find out here is that this crowd is anxious. They're anticipating that he's going to do some great things. He's gaining popularity. He's gaining momentum. People want to be around him because every time that they're around him, he seems to do something miraculous. He seems to to cast demons into pigs, and they run in and drown, you know, 2,000 pigs drowning in a lake and they hear about that and they they hear about jesus healing people and 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 all these different things and so everywhere he's going people are showing up and they want to see something good and they're about to get their wish right here look at verse 22 then came one of the rulers of the synagogue jarius by name and seeing him seeing jesus he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. 
and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. In Luke chapter 8, we get a similar uh, account of this story. And we learn a few other details, like she's an only child. And like this man ran to Jesus. Well, here's the thing. Uh, Do you guys remember the story of the prodigal son? Where the prodigal son goes off and then he, he, he comes back and the father sees him from a long way and runs to him? Well, the reason that running is so shocking, this guy running to Jesus... You know why it would have been shocking? Because men don't run in this culture. They don't run. It would have brought you shame. Here's why. Because they didn't have undergarments. They just had robes. Okay, They they didn't have underwear anyway. And so what they would have to do in order to run is they would have to lift up their robes. Okay, So they would lift up their robes to run and then they'd be running with their robes and you know, with the wind blowing, you know, depending on how fast you run, there could be some billowing taking place. And they would have been exposed. And they, that would have brought them shame. So men don't run. And the fact that this man ran to Jesus showed how little he cared about shame and how much he cared about his daughter. Because his daughter, his only child, was dying. I have a little boy named Brody, and I have two girls, Sutton and Scout. And Sutton and I have really bonded. She's my seven-year-old. She's the, she's the one that I started taking out on dates when she was three years old. I have not been as diligent with Scout as I have with Sutton, but Sutton and I bonded at a young age. We, I, I get her. And so whenever she's having mental emotional breakdowns like women have at that age I guess I I don't know (laughs) I hate to I I realize that I just said something that could get me in trouble but anyway so um, when she's when she's having emotional breakdowns I get her I know how to calm her down and so we have this tight bond a few weeks ago we went to go see the Lion King together and we uh, I took her to sushi for her first time and it's it's like it's almost like I feel in love with her I just adore her, and we cuddle, and we, we, we kiss, you know, and, and, and we hold hands, and we, we, um, we, we read together, and we do all these things. I don't do those things with my son. You know what I do with my son? We wrestle, and we go outside and spit, you know, and we go to the corner of the yard when no neighbors can see us, and we, we pee in the yard, you know what I mean? We... I mean, we're men, right? Like, we punch each other, right? And, 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 and I feel tight with him, too, you know? It's like, hey, buddy. Hey, Dad. Ugh, how was practice? Oh, it was awesome. You know, it's like, that's, that's not how I treat my daughter. I, my daughter is, is, is she's, she's like a delicate little flower. It's been good for me to have daughters because I think I used to treat everyone the way I treat my son. And that's not good. So this man runs to Jesus because he's, he's, a, he's a synagogue ruler, which means in that day he kind of would have been like a pastor like me, and he, and he is desperate for his daughter to live. It's his only child. I cannot imagine the pain and the anguish that he's in at this moment. 
And Jesus, in His kindness and in His mercy and in His love, as this man bows down before Him, essentially falls at His feet, which a synagogue ruler never would to this guy, not to this rabbi, this rabbi saying too crazy a stuff. He doesn't care about his job. He doesn't care about his reputation. All he cares about is his daughter. And Jesus, in His kindness and in His mercy and in His love, says, I'll go with you. I'll go lay hands on her. And the crowd goes, ah, we're going to see something good today. And he goes with Jairus and the crowd is jostling and they're thronging about him, the ESV says. They're thronging about him. That means that they're, they're pushing in and they're, they're, they're trying to get to the front where they're going to be able to see when he gets there. Well, let's talk about the second point, his delay. What do you do when God delays? Here the crowd is pressing in around them. Uh, People from the back are pushing. They know that once they get to that house, probably not everybody's going to be able to get in. There's been many, many situations in Mark already where the whole town is gathered at the door. They can't fit any more people in. That's why they had to lower that paralytic through the roof. They know that if they don't get there first, they're probably going to miss this deal. And so they're jostling and they're thronging about him. And they're in a hurry. This girl is dying. And Jesus stops. Look at verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. This woman likely had an internal hemorrhage, likely in the uterine area. Essentially, she had been menstruating for about 12 years straight. And in Jewish culture, um, I don't know how much of the Old Testament you've read, but if you read the Old Testament, you will find that there are many, many laws about many different things, but there are especially laws concerning menstruation and menstruating women i was preaching on this one time and i had this student i I was a college pastor this has nothing to do with the sermon but i'm just going to tell you a funny little story and this guy um every time you talked about blood he would pass out and so i was i was preaching this sermon and all of a sudden i heard a bible hit the floor and he just he just went out and the girls started screaming and there was a doctor sitting next to him he goes he's fine and he lifted up his head and Anyway, the kid woke up, and he was all out of sorts. And anyway, so I'm always nervous when I'm preaching about this, but nobody, if you, if, if you need to go get a drink, now would be the time, okay? But, uh, but in the Old Testament, there's all these laws about, uh, about how if a woman is, is, is on her period, essentially, uh, you're not allowed to come into contact with her or else you're unclean. There's, uh, sex is definitely outlawed. Um, anything that she is sitting on, whether it be the saddle on the camel or... or, or, uh, or seated on a chariot or or seated on a at the dinner table or on the bed anything that she has sat on anything that she's been around has to be washed and ceremonially cleansed they're essentially treated like lepers until their until their period is over and this woman had been doing this for 12 years now here's what that means that means that probably no one has touched her in 12 years no one has hugged her No one has kissed her on the top of her head. No one's put their arm around her. 
Um, when she goes to the marketplace, pro- pro- people probably you know, want to drop the coins from a distance as to not expose themselves. This woman has been treated like an outcast. So out of desperation, even though she knows what Jesus is doing, Jesus is going to heal a dying girl. She knows this. The whole crowd knows this. As Jesus is on His way, out of desperation, because she spent all of her money, and she's probably worse because of all the cures that these doctors have tried than better. She's gotten worse. She knows that Jesus is going to the synagogue ruler's house to heal a dying girl. And here's what happens. She doesn't wait for Jesus. She doesn't wait for His timing. She doesn't ask Jesus to heal her. She isn't supposed to touch a rabbi because by doing so, she would make Him ceremonially unclean. She does it all wrong. And you have to see this. We're going to come back to this in a few minutes. But she does it all wrong. She fights her way through the crowd, making all of the people in the crowd unclean. Then she touches the fringe of Jesus' garment. Now Jesus is a rabbi, and she's just made Him unclean. She's probably as desperate and as superstitious as she could be. I say she's superstitious because she wants there to be kind of a magic trick done. She doesn't want to wait for Jesus. She doesn't want a relationship with Jesus. She's not trying to get His attention. She's not asking His permission. All she's trying to do is touch His garment to see if it'll work. She's doing it all wrong. She knows that it's not right. But she does it anyway. She touches probably the hem on the bottom near His feet. Or maybe on his sleeve, if they had, you know, big sleeves, and maybe she touched the the the, she touches his garment, and she's immediately healed. Look, look, look at verse twenty nine. Immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, "Who touched my garments?" And if I'm Jairus at that moment, I'm going. No! Jesus, too. No! We gotta go, man. This is my little girl. She was gasping for breath when I ran to you, man. She, she doesn't have much time. Let's go. But Jesus stops. The crowd, I, I, I'm imagining in my head one of those cartoon scenes where the first person stops and then the next person runs into him and then the next person and the next person right all the way back. I mean, it, it's, it's got to be just crazy. And everyone stops and his disciples said to him, verse 31, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. Look, if you were there, you would have said the same thing. Lord, there's 150 people jostling around and trying to get near you. What do you mean who touched you? You got touched by a hundred people at once. They're in a hurry. Jesus is delaying. They're frustrated. Look at verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling 
and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman, this outcast, this destitute woman who had been treated like a leper for all these years is healed. She confesses her sin to Jesus. The text says that she told Him the whole truth. She confesses her sin. Jesus heals her. He forgives her. He tells her to go and live in peace. He's not in a hurry to get to Jairus' house. He wants to create a relationship with this woman. He felt power go out of him. He's felt that before. He knows what had happened. He knows that everyone's desperate to get to Jairus' daughter. He knows that she's dying, and yet he stops, and he pays attention to this woman. And he develops a relationship with her, and he ends it by saying, now go and live in peace. Jesus seems to not just want her body to be healed. He seems to want her soul to be healed as well. So he heals her. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And while Jesus is spending time healing and talking to this woman who had a chronic condition, He seems to be ignoring the little girl that has the critical condition. Instead of going to the girl who needed Him desperately, He decided to heal a woman that could have been healed tomorrow or the next day or next month. And while he's healing this woman, the little girl dies. And it seems clear to everyone that his delay is what caused the little girl to die. And to make it worse, the woman who had done a bad job of having faith in Jesus, she did it all wrong, got healed, while the guy who did everything right, his daughter died. Why did Jesus choose to spend His time with the superstitious woman instead of the faithful guy? Why did the faithful guy have to suffer while the superstitious woman who did it all wrong got what she wanted? We'll come back to that in a moment. Jesus tells Jairus to have faith, to not be scared, but to believe. Look at verse 37. And He allowed no one to follow Him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler. By the way, you think the crowd was disappointed with that? Yeah, you bet. And, 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 and they came to the house of the ruler. By the way, that could probably be a sermon in and of itself. What to do, what to do when God disappoints you. Well, anyway, we'll come back to that. Uh, I just thought of that. But anyway, so they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People weeping and wailing loudly. And when He had entered, He said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at Him. But He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with Him, and they went in where the child was. Jesus 
grabs his three guys, the, the ones that are going to be on the Mount of Transfiguration with him later, and, and he says, guys, I need witnesses, but I don't want all these people to see this. It, it, Jesus knew that if people saw with their own eyes what he was about to do, uh, it would have thrown everything into chaos. He had more that he needed to do before it was time to go to the cross. And so he grabs these three guys and, and Jairus, the, the dad, and everyone there is in a state of absolute agony. There's weeping and sobbing and wailing as there is when someone dies. Have you ever been to someone's house right after a death? It is awful. I've been to a house where a three-year-old had just passed away from cancer and I was the first one they called and I got there and it was just the saddest thing in the world and everyone's weeping and wailing and agonizing and Jesus goes in and goes hey why is everybody crying why all the commotion she's not dead she's sleeping and many of these people would have uh, witnessed this little girl's last breaths they know that she's dead. And these mourners knew that Jesus was coming. And see, Jesus can say, uh, why are you guys crying? Because Jesus knows that mourning was unnecessary. Jesus knows that the agony was unnecessary. The people should have known that Jesus was on His way. That's where Jairus went. And even if they didn't know that's where He went, when He came in, based on everything they had heard, they should have stopped crying and said, are you here to help? They should have known that everything was going to be okay. They should have stopped when they saw Him, but they didn't. Hence the question, why are you mourning? She's not dead, she's asleep. And so He kicks the people out. Everyone out. Get everyone, get out of the house. You three, Jarius, Mama, come on, let's go. And He walks into the room, and look at verse 41. Taking her by the hand... He said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Now, when Jesus goes into this room and says Talitha kumai, it means, uh, Talitha means little girl. But it's actually, in Aramaic, it's actually more like a pet name. It's more like honey, sweetie. And the next word, kumai, is translated as get up, but it, but it was a very common phrase that you would say to your child first thing in the morning. And Jesus seems to be talking to this little girl in a very tender way, and He takes her hand, which a rabbi can't touch a dead person either. That would make him unclean as well. He reaches down with His hand. He takes her by the hand, and He says, Honey, it's time to get up. Sweetie, get up. Time to get up. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Mark has shown us that Jesus has power over nature. Mark has shown us that Jesus has power over demons and evil. We've seen in this story alone that He has power over sickness. And now we see that He has power over death itself. And Mark is showing us that you cannot marginalize Jesus. You have to deal with Him. You can't say that He's just good. You can't say that He's just a prophet. You can't just say that He's a good teacher or just a healer. He's the Messiah. He has power. Jesus is power. What do you do when He delays 
How do you have patience in the midst of the delay? Point number three. How do you have patience in the midst of the delay? We know that God hears our prayers. We know that He cares about us as His children. But what do you do when He delays? It kind of depends on what you mean by late. You guys, I was, I was in seminary and I was taking a class, a missions class. And my professor, Dr. Young, was telling us how it was very hard to get acculturated into other cultures. And one of the really frustrating things about doing ministry in Latin America or in Europe was the, was the difference in how we see time. And he was telling us about doing ministry in Latin America and he would say, um, so the church service starts at 6, and they'd go, yeah, 6 o'clock is when church starts. And so he'd get there about 5.45, and there'd be no one there. It was like crickets. And the, the worship team would show up at about 6.15, 6.30, and they'd start warming up and everything, and then they'd start church at about 7.15. And he's looking around going, I thought church started at 6. And they're like, yeah, it does. And he's going, I, I'd, uh, help me understand Help my unbelief, right? Uh, What is going on right here? If you say you're going to be there at 6, then you should be there at 6. And here's here's what happened one time to him. He went and uh, someone invited him to dinner at 7 o'clock one night. And so he showed up right on time. He didn't want to be, you know, he didn't want to be too late, but he didn't want to be early, so he showed up right on time. And the woman was horrified. And, and, and she said something about, you know, I, I, why would you bring shame to me like this? And, and, and he's looking around like, what's going on? And so, and so he, he apologized profusely, and it was real tense for a while, but it got better. And, and he left, and he, he called one of his friends, one of his missionary buddies, and he goes, here's what just happened. Tell me what happened. And he goes, man, when she invited you over at 7, she didn't expect you there till 8, and she was still getting ready when you got there. And she couldn't be a hostess to you because she didn't have anything ready. That was very rude what you did. (laughs) Here's the thing. When we feel like God is late, God, why aren't you letting us get pregnant? God, why aren't you giving me a job? God, why are you doing this to me right now? Instead, why aren't you fixing this right now? Maybe, just maybe, our definition of late and His are two different things. Our real problem here is that with God, He does things according to His timeline, not ours. His agenda isn't our agenda. His way of doing things is different than our way of doing things. And often we feel like God is ignoring us and He's stiff-arming us. He's indifferent to us. And we feel that delay. We're frustrated about it. Especially if you've behaved in a way that you think He owes you something. Have you ever said this? God, after all this I've done for You, as faithful as I have been, as much as I've gone to church, God, I taught kindergarten or Sunday school. I signed that thing today. God, after all these things I've done, You're going to do this to me? We all struggle with this to some degree. Why? Why can't we handle these delays? A lot of times it's because of works righteousness. We believe that God owes us. Sometimes we can't handle these delays because we think, I've worked hard, I've gone to church, 
I've done the right thing, therefore God owes me. And unless you take that sense of self-righteousness and throw it out the window, until you humble yourself, you're never going to be able to handle the delays of God very well. You're always going to be angry. Quick story. I have some friends of mine who are missionaries in Croatia, and they kept, they, they kept praying that God would fix these people that they were ministering to, take away their urge for suicide, take away their depression, that, that, he, would, that he would convert these people that they were forming relationships with, and after three or four years, God was not answering their prayers And so they quit the ministry, they left, and they came back to the States. And I remember sitting in their living room one night, I was on my way to Memphis, and I sat in their living room, and they were telling me about this, and they said, we don't even know if we believe in God anymore. The truth of the matter is that they thought they were doing everything right, and God wasn't holding up His end of the bargain. That's very dangerous. So how do we deal with this unqu- these, these delays? How do we trust God in the midst of all of His uh, not doing what we thought He would do? From the text, you would think that, that the key to trusting God is to go, look at Jarius. Just trust God like Jarius. If you're being delayed, He's going to make it better. So just hang on. You really think that's going to help you? You can try really hard to do that. It's not going to be helpful. That's not going to fix anything. Tim Keller, in a lecture to his students while he was teaching a D-men class on preaching, was talking about this sermon, and he says the only way we can trust Jesus and actually have patience is if we see that this whole story is actually about His grace. We see three things in this story that point us to His grace. Number one, the wisdom of Jesus. Jesus knows that it's no problem at all to revive this little sick girl. He just as easily heals um, the woman. Uh, the power goes out of him. It takes hardly any effort at all on his part. No effort. If you're looking at the story, similar with the girl raising the girl from the dead. It, it, he, he didn't stand back and go, everybody back! Here we go! Watch this in the name of God! You know, be, you know he, didn't, he doesn't show up. It's easy for him. And so Jesus knows that, that in His wisdom that having a relationship with that woman it, so that she wouldn't spend the rest of her life just being superstitious about God, having a relationship with her was way more important than healing the dead girl right at that moment. We have to see His wisdom in that. We have to see that that was more important in that moment. Even though Jairus and the rest of those guys could not see it, we have to see it and we have to go, how wise of Him to do that. And if you're in a situation right now where it seems that God isn't answering your prayers, you're lacking some information. Listen to this. I put this on my Twitter feed as I was preparing this, um, this message. And here's what it says. Jesus will always give you what you would have prayed for if you knew everything He knows. Jesus would, would, will, will, will always give you what you would have prayed for have, had you known everything He knows. Remember the wisdom of Jesus. But, you still won't have the right kind of patience in the midst of a delay just by saying, well, He knows what He's doing. You also have to see the grace of Jesus. Number two, the grace of Jesus. The wisdom of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. We talked about how the sick woman was the one who didn't believe well, but Jairus did. 
Uh, do you remember the, it, that we were talking about this a few minutes ago, that Jairus did everything right and the woman did everything wrong and that, and, and that Jesus paid way more attention to her and delayed Jairus and all these bad things happened to Jairus because of the attention that he was paying to this woman? This is a picture of the gospel. This is a beautiful picture of grace. Jesus heals the person who doesn't deserve it. The gospel reverses the values of the world. What is the gospel? The gospel is the cross. What is the cross? It's when the way up is down. It's the way to power is to serve. The way to life is a willingness to die. The way to spiritual wealth is to admit that you're spiritually poor. It's where the last is first. The way to become utterly royal is to cast your crown before Him. Who does Jesus lift up? It's, it's, it's the humble. Jesus puts the outsider first. Jesus goes after the leper. Jesus goes after the sinners. Jesus goes after the outcasts. Jesus goes after this unclean woman. Jesus shows her grace. But He also shows the little girl grace. He speaks to her lovingly. He calls her honey. And He reaches down and He grabs her hand. She didn't deserve it. And the woman who had been bleeding doesn't deserve it either. Grace isn't given because we earned it. Grace is given despite what we've earned. All we've earned is hell. And Jesus is wise. He's gracious. And number three, He's powerful is my last point. We have to see the power of Jesus. Jesus takes this little girl by the hand. He pulls her out of death back into life. It's no big deal for Jesus to do this. He says, honey, get up. Sweetie, it's time to get up. And what He seems to be doing is lifting her out of death and into life. And what Jesus seems to be saying here is, if I have you by my hand, then even death itself is nothing but a good night's sleep. Jesus seems to be saying, if you're with me, nothing can hold you back. I've got you. Why was He able to take her by the hand and pull her from death to life? I loved this when I heard Tim Keller say this. He says, because you see, when He was on that cross, He lost His Father's hand. In the garden, He asked for something from His Father he said, let this cup be taken from me, and he was turned down. The Father didn't just agree to take Jesus out of his suffering. The reason that Jesus Christ could be this gracious and this kind, and the reason that he can go to the weak and go to the marginalized and go to the outsider, the reason that he's able to reach down and lift you out of death into life saying, come on man, get up. Get up, buddy. Get up, sweetie. Come on, it's time to get up. The reason that can happen, the reason that death is not painful, the reason that we have hope, the reason that we don't have to worry because the worst thing that happens to us is that we fall asleep and wake up in heaven. The reason that all of that happened is because Jesus lost the grip of His Father. His Father abandoned Him on that cross. If that's true, if Jesus is that wise and that gracious and that powerful, why would you ever want to hurry Him? 
He's absolutely wise. He's unbelievably gracious. He's unquestionably powerful. He lost his father's hand so that you would never ever taste death. So that you would never lose the father's grip on you. So that you would never sink into death. Because Jesus died, we who believe in him simply fall asleep. This is the last thing I'm going to say. To the extent that you believe this, to the extent that you believe that he's wise, to the extent that you believe that he's gracious, to the extent that you believe that he's powerful, and to the extent that you believe that he loves you, will be to the extent that no matter what happens, you'll trust him. And you can be patient in the midst of the delay. Let's pray together. Father, we are people in desperate need of patience. We're in desperate need of the Gospel to penetrate deep, deep into our hearts. And we pray that You would absolutely do a work in us. And I pray that we would never try to hurry You again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.